Chapter 11 Vesh enjoyed emotions. They often made him uncomfortable and scared, but ultimately, he appreciated what they brought to life. To him, emotions were proof that he had not stagnated, that he was still connected to things around him. He knew that might sound banal to others who had no fear of such things, but Vesh was always scared he would lose that connection. He had been alone for a little bit too long. He knew that. He also knew that he was starting to get into excuses about it to himself. It was, again, starting to feel as if he was dividing himself up into different people to battle the loneliness. He tried to find comfort in the fact that nowadays, at least he was aware of it. Sometimes outer stimuli helped, like now. It wasn't comfortable, but it did cause a reaction. He was sitting cross-legged atop a large boulder overlooking Wisp Lake. Manarim and Kensaro had still been visible when he climbed up on it, and now Sena was high in the sky. He allowed himself to shift sitting position whenever he needed. Needless pain was needless pain. What he was here for was trying to make himself as palatable a climbing thing as possible. Little legs and tiny membranous wings against his skin proved that he was turning into just that. Dozens of little insects now found him an acceptable part of the boulder, an obstacle to traverse, a thing to use for climbing. He wasn't bringing efficiency. It did make their walk longer. But he might provide a more interesting journey. Admittedly, his limbs were starting to ache by now. He had to focus very hard on the perpetual sunset-coloured poisonous mist hanging over Wisp Lake, and it wasn't exactly relaxing. Just a little while longer. He had more need than usual for distraction, because apparently he was expecting visitors. Lon's rage had long subsided. She wasn't embarrassed about her outburst, but it had been a little inconvenient. Lots of suspicious eyes had gathered, eyes that would absolutely tell someone about this. Someone with the authority to detain Lon and Derry for a significant amount of time. So they had fled. And now they were in a marsh. She hated this part of Runa. And Derry was doing her thing again, the twitching and spasming in her sleep. Wide-open eyes drooled down her chin, pathetic whining. This one seemed worse than usual. She hadn't breathed for a while now. Lon sighed. She still needed her. She kicked Derry. That kick showed that Maybe her rage had not, in fact, fully subsided. The blood kith rolled an Ori's length away, and still Lon couldn't hear any breathing. With a growl, she plucked Derry up by the nape of her neck with one hand and shook her. Apparently that was as strong she was now. Fascinating. Derry still wasn't breathing, though. She hung lifeless, though still twitching a little, in Lon's clawed hand. 
Lon put her other hand folded around Derry's body, thumb on her solar plexus, the other fingers cradling her back. She pushed. Hard. With a horrible roar, Derry's breathing came back. Lon let go of her, sending her tumbling to the ground, retching, howling, coughing into the wet slime of the marshlands. Lon sank down, begrudgingly ignoring how the ground seemed to instantly become part of her, and simply watched as Derry scrambled for purchase in her own body. After a while, the blood kith went from holding her own legs in a little ball to slowly pulling herself up into a sitting position. Her blonde hair hung like a curtain before her face, bangs parted with the sweat on her forehead. Lon's eyes narrowed. The intricate mess of lines that constituted the hex brand on Derry's forehead was pulsating with a dim, bluish light. When Derry finally managed to sit up completely, the light was gone from it. When Derry met Lon's gaze, there was a simple, unveiled tiredness on her face that Lon didn't like the look of. There was always an edge to Derry's features, an unpredictability at the corner of her lips. It wasn't entirely there, no. I hope this is a culmination that promises the decline of this behavior, not something that shows it's getting worse, Lon said, teeth sharp around the syllables. Derry's face shook loose into naked, honest surprise. Lon barely recognized her. You've seen this happen before, Derry said, her voice steady, unveiled. Lon snarled, causing Derry to jump. This happens every time you sleep, you broken little person. Are you telling me you weren't even aware? Just not aware that it showed. Derry whispered, looking away. She crawled over to the trunk of a tree. Its branches bowed down from the top of it, dipping into the swamp around them. The sun barely made it through any of the foliage here. Light was muted. Flies and other insects buzzed around them. It was a noisy, energetic calm. Derry sighed softly, closing her eyes. When she opened them again, she was looking straight at Lon, who finally recognized her again. There she was. A half-smile pulled at the left side of Derry's face. Her eyes moved constantly, even when she was looking straight at you. She reached up to rake through her bangs, hiding the hex brand again. With a swift motion, she snatched one of the dragonflies hovering in the fetid air. It panicked between her fingers, wings and limbs twitching. Shrugging, she bit its head off, to then watch the movement slowly die down. Our biggest enemy is clarity, puppy, she said, her usual voice back entirely now. She tapped her temple. Reflection, memory, possibilities, only bring you misery, doubt. Pain. There is only now. We are never past. We are just this moment.
Terry had a rusted iron chalice hanging from her belt. She loosened it from its leather strap and dipped it into the standing water next to her, dropping the headless body of the dragonfly into it to have it float on top of the greenish sludge. Let us toast, creature of change, to the liberating obscurity of the future. I'm sorry, okay? The fact that you are sorry is the only reason I'm still even here. Do you understand that? Lady Kai couldn't remember the last time he shouted like this. I don't know what to tell you, Crow threw out their hands. You being sorry isn't going to fix this in an instant. I apologize if that's inconvenient to you. He wanted to throw something. He could tell that his founts were not being completely subtle about his emotions, partially because of how Crow's bright eyes kept darting around his face and hands. Oh, wait, he continued, voice quieter, the shouting contained into a snarl. If it's inconvenient to you, why don't you just fucking make me? Crow threw down their eyes. Lydikai felt another wave of nausea. He turned on his heel and marched into the dealwood forest surrounding the little clearing. Taryn hadn't said anything. She was slowly putting up her tent. Lydikai left the two of them there, annoyed that dealwood forests were so majestically poor in ground vegetation to have a desperate cry behind. He kept walking until his legs buckled. It didn't take long for Taryn to find him. He hadn't been able to have that cry, he was just staring aimlessly, hands up to things he didn't approve of. The hands stopped when they noticed Taryn was coming, however. Hey friend, she said softly, sitting down next to him, not close enough to touch, but close enough for the warmth of her body to be felt. I, um, wanted to give you something. She held out a small metal disc with little glyphs carved into it. The thing was practically vibrating with magic. I didn't think it would be needed at all. <laughs> Call me paranoid, but when you told me Crow was an illusionist, I thought it couldn't hurt to bring some protection. Admittedly, didn't think I would be using it against them. Just thought maybe we would run into others doing the same things along the way, but here we are. Lady Kai took the disc. The founts on his hand reacted with a bright flash of golden light before settling down again. And what does it do? It makes you aware of it. Illusion magic. Gets rid of the subtlety. Lady Kai's eyebrows shot up. That's... not supposed to be possible. Impossible is what I do best. <laughs> to be fair, it's still experimental. Nothing dangerous, but the awareness can be a little uncomfortable, like a sharp pain. Anyway, just keep it on your person and it should work. And why are you giving it to me? Because I want you to have it. Lydikai put the little disc in a secure inner pocket in his brace. And you made this? Taryn nodded, grinning. Impressed? Lydikai smiled back faintly. Look, I'm pissed as well. Taryn continued. 
I could have joined in back there, but I got stuck in this weird place where I didn't want to intrude, and then I didn't know if being silent was even worse, and... Ugh. The way I see it, we can't ditch Crow. They're our only connection to this Ender thing, and... As I said, it's not going to leave me alone, I can tell. You could leave, though. I wouldn't blame you, honestly, she added. Just let me be angry. Taryn held up her hands. Letting. I'm not going to leave again, Lady Kai said. A startled look brushed over Taryn's face, something she very obviously tried to hide by standing up again. Right, looking forward to travelling in this awkward tension. She clapped her hands once and then added, softer, whenever you're ready. Days passed. Mostly, Taryn and Lidjikai shared the driver's seat, while Crow had the inside of the carriage to themselves. The conversations among all three of them, even between Lidjikai and Taryn, were only there when necessity called for it. I'm going to get some firewood, take the reins, I need to sleep for a while. I'll go look for roots today. Taryn did most of the talking, and most of that to Myrmain. They were travelling along the coast of Dimiri. The breeze of the enormous inland sea, the weir, constant, salty, and refreshing. It did little to help Lydikai's tangle of a hair, however. Whenever he was at the reins, he tried to stop it from ending up in a nothing-to-do-but-cut-it-off state. Artificial respiration. On the fourth day, Taryn told Lydikai to turn west from their north-going path, at a crossroads that signed north for Falhar and west for Mirandi's watch. <laughs> Lydikai sounded as he followed her instruction. Brings back memories, Taryn said, her tone indecisive on the nature on those memories. Indeed. You never told me what institute you ended up in, she said. Egelin. Taryn whistled. Knew I recognized it. She nodded towards the emblem on his robe. He noticed that the little patch had started to come loose at the edges. This poor robe. One of the places that never invited me, Taryn said with a crooked smile. You get invited to institutes? He heard I would sounded halfway through it. No, I mean, with you being an auger. Or maybe you managed to keep that hidden? His words were stumbling over each other. She had no immediately visible hex brands. Her face and hands looked institute-friendly enough. Her tandia was for the modality of prosperity, healing magic, a stylized mortal heart. Not the most common one, granted, but lauded for that very reason. Her forearms might be a bit of a problem, though, he knew that. The founts on the insides of them had the Kasani words for mutation on the right and energy on the left, Olisata and Zai, respectively. With her usually rolled-up sleeves, there could be no doubt that she was a practitioner of the path of mutation. A gravedigger, if you loudly didn't approve. And a necromancer, if you tried to be polite about it. Still, no actual hexbrands visible there either. He had seen where some of them were during the ritual they had attempted with the crow. A blue-green shimmer about her stomach, her shoulders and her thighs had been their tells. She laughed at his flustering. Oh, I have never gotten invited officially to any of them, 
You know how it is. She rolled her eyes. And no, not for augury. At least that hasn't happened yet. But there are, believe it or not, some institute scholars who actually find ways to swallow their aversion to what they have deemed dangerous in favour of curiosity. I've been hired as a sort of, uh, consultant on some projects. I heard them all swear to keep me out of the bureaucracy of it all. I can't imagine the headache those proposals would be to read. So yeah, I've been to a few. Can't say it ever tempted me to apply for one. Didikai snorted. You'd get kicked out in a week. Taryn grinned, and I'd be proud of it. She glanced over at him. That what happened? You got kicked out? No. I left. Keep the fire at bay. Keep it beyond the senses. She snorted. <laughs> All right, hint taken. Heard loud and clear, and short. They were silent for a while, Myrmane's flying pace rhythmic against the dry, sun-bleached stones. They were on the Alva Trail, the main road between the bigger cities in the Dimmiri Bailiwick. It was a limestone-paved road, and if Lidikai remembered correctly, it continued past Mirandi's watch and terminated further west at Orchid. Orchid had been the first city outside of the Kajiza he had been to, where he and Tarin had met. The second city outside the Kajisa he had been to was Mirandi's Watch, where they had parted ways. Speaking of institutes, he said, and Tyron was immediately alert. I've been thinking about some of the things you said earlier about Enders. I was so focused on trying to understand what you said about the ritual, my head was a bit of a mess. Lots of information at once. But you said, um... In between your usual criticism of institutes, Terence snorted. Lady Kai ignored it. Something about there being theories on Enders not spawning from the portal's teleportation omens. I think that was such an incongruous statement it got filtered out when you first said it. Yeah, no, exactly. Many are saying that's not right. What do you base that claim on? Well, we outsiders have organizations of our own, as you know. What is it you're calling us again? Taryn mockingly tapped her index finger against her chin. Lady Kai refused to answer. He didn't approve of the negative discourse surrounding non-institutional magic practice. He also had never voiced that he didn't approve of it. Ah, yes, us hobbyists. She paused for effect, knowing full well she had chosen the least offensive term available. There's a lot of experimenting and examination going on in some corners of our community. Common hypothesis now is that some enders are an effective abstraction. Lidikai felt like someone had grabbed around his lungs with icy fingers. Come again? If I try to explain it, I'm just going to misquote something and confuse both you and me. I'll lend you some reading if convenience ever allows for that. Anyway, yes, we've, well, very little has come from me, personally, to be honest, but anyway. We have not found any proof that teleportation in any way directly leads to the emergence of Enders. What some of us have found indicates that something about some abstract magic might actually 
create things out of, well, nothing. That's impossible. Magic always uses existing elements, transforms them. Abstraction's just another way of approaching the process. And what do you base that on? Experience? Lady Kaiden wanted to fall silent, but it still sat with his lips slightly parted, unable to form a single word. She didn't sound smug at all, probably because she already knew the answer to the question. I don't... he started. The only difference between abstract and practical magic is how you perform them, or what part of that would create an ender. Lady... she whined, dragging the last I sound out to end in a sigh. You don't have to repeat institutional ideas to me, I am very aware. That's the only difference, apparently. But if it were that simple, wouldn't it be easier for them to explain how to actually reach it? Would they have 50 million restrictions about how to perform it, even though they don't actually explain how to perform it to begin with? I get it, I know, I know, they talk of the the risks, the way it sounds as if you might just accidentally slip into opening a portal or suddenly make someone else dance to Tarenta until they topple over and die. And yet, that's the solution to it all, huh? What's the big deal? If it's that impossible, why are they still even trying? If it's that dangerous, what's the point? Naturally, no preceptor or doyen would put it that way. But if Lydikai were to distill every confusing, layered instruction and rule he had heard over the decades, then... Yes, she was right. And what was more, much were things he had been thinking himself. He should find companionship in it. A unified front against the Institutes. They had the same idea. But his mind always abandoned logic when it came to her. Sometimes he simply could not agree with Taryn. Also, what was she actually suggesting? That the Institutes knew that abstraction created enders? Obviously, she continued when all Lidikai offered her was a powerful frown. The idea isn't that every attempt or even success, whatever that might mean when it really comes down to it, of abstraction leads to an ender popping up and being like, Hey everyone, just here to wreak some havoc with reality for a while, hope you don't mind. Actually... She sighed, interrupting herself. That's another thing that my colleagues keep muttering about sometimes. The fact that we don't even know how many Enders exist. Or if any do. She threw a reflexive eye towards the inside of the carriage. I do know that the Institutes consider them gone, or, you know, not real to begin with. So hearing this from Crow must have been, um, weird for you? Lydica shook his head. The Institutes considered them gone. Most seem to agree that, uh, he cleared his throat, that they still exist because August accidentally caused Enders to appear sometimes. Taryn let out a loud, frustrated groan, which made Lady Kai flinch. Fucking arbitrary propaganda, she grunted. Yes, I'm sure that makes for a compelling argument to keep the ribs around and all that. Just because you aren't dangerous doesn't mean that's true for every auger, Lidikai protested. Lidji, I take great offense at that. Well, I'm sorry, but I can be very fucking dangerous. She grinned widely at him. He sighed through his nose. Would have laughed if he could. 
wished he could. Kadea, he said. His voice was strained. At the bottom of this conversation, there was something else that gnawed at him. What does that mean for abstraction, then? Do your colleagues know that? To Lady Kai's surprise, Taryn halted her previous nipping at his every punctuation mark. Her face was stern, previous mischief completely gone. I wish we did, honestly, she said, simply. He could have just let it all go at that, just given up. Instead, he tried to remind himself of other things he knew. Research was research. It was an ongoing road to knowledge. Don't expect things to be true just because they are new or different. New ideas need time. After all, this was a foundation that had been loose for him for a long time. Perhaps that was why Taryn's words were able to shake it so profoundly, even though they were, in fact, only more speculation. He'd hung his hope on something he didn't even know what it was. He acknowledged and resented the familiar gloating at Taryn not really knowing more than he did about it. He also acknowledged how stupid that was, seeing as he was now technically out of ways to solve whatever was going on with him. As if he'd ever actually believed there would be a solution as simple as that. Or maybe he had actually believed that, judging by the unsettling anxiety causing his limbs to feel restless now. With all that racing through his head, he still didn't manage to ask tiring about needing help in particular. He needed to settle on this new road before knowing what to ask. Also, he tried to focus on how that road led forward, not that it was made of a giant heap of speculation. All this unknown stuff we're wading into now, Taryn suddenly said. It's terrifying, sure. But it's also pretty damn exhilarating. If anyone knows there's a precarious line between excitement and danger, I think I can claim to be the one, Lydico muttered. Gotta stay positive, Lydgy. The three of them were setting up camp for the night again. Another day had passed, and the surroundings had fully turned into wide-open Alvar now. Not a deal with tree as far as they could see. Just a few scraggly, wind-defying triangles of solitary trees broke the straight line of the horizon here and there. Um. It was Crow making the noise, and then clearing their throat. Lady Kai turned around. Crow stood behind him, the frown that had been on their face since they left Cheramir a little softer. They held out a handful of blue glass marbles. Lidikai gave Crow a confused look back. It's for what I owe for the camping stuff you bought, okay? They sighed and continued with the anger forced out of their words. Please. Lidikai swallowed and waited. He deliberated with himself. Then he sighed, accepting them. Never do something like that again. He had to wait for his voice to become steady again. I need you to promise that. Crow didn't reply immediately. Lady Kai could see their jaw muscles tensing and relaxing. They were quiet for so long, Lady Kai actually thought they might choose not to promise that. 
Then their bright fluorescent eyes met his, and they nodded. I promise. Lady Kai gave them a small nod. Have you... Yes, I've talked to Taryn already, Crow said. This, they motioned towards Lady Kai, was harder, and I'm a coward. They sat down by the little pyramid of firewood Taryn had built. Thank fuck I brought some of this with me. She held out her hand towards her handiwork. This place is practically the Khadiza when it comes to good wood. You two are lucky. I'm such a genius. Lidikai scoffed. Her tone was her way of dealing with tension. He was used to it. It wasn't fixed. That would take time. And confirmative action. But still. A surge of elation went through him, like a pain between the shoulder blades finally letting up. Now that we're down being mopey, you are overdue on an explanation, Crow, Taryn said, also sitting down. Crow looked up at her. They looked scared. Lady Kai wondered what they had expected. They had offered no information as to why they had been forced to leave in the middle of the night from Cheramir. He watched as several emotions seemed to filter through the other Ori, settling on a muted resignation. But they remained quiet. The air got instantly chiller as Sena dipped below the horizon. Lady Kai coaxed fire out of the elements around them into the pile of wood, happy he didn't have to worry about it going astray. He felt more in control of himself than he had in quite some time. Taryn busied herself with putting various things they had as rations on sticks, which, she pointed out, she had also remembered to bring. It was the Ender who warned me. Crow's voice was stiff in a way Lydikai had never heard it be. Both Taryn and Lydikai looked at Crow in disbelief. You sure about that? Taryn said, an amused frown on her face. The grimace poured off her as Crow bore their eyes into her, Whatever she saw there was apparently not funny. Ugh. It was a genuine sound of frustration from Crow. Lady Kai could tell. Birds of a feather. Fine. They continued in an inward whisper. I lied, okay? They tried to look at Lady Kai, but instantly looked away. Serena didn't send the Ender after me. She introduced me to it. And before you ask, no. I don't know how or why she got to know it herself. They paused. I'm lightborn. Lidikai had to stop himself from making a sound. Lightborn Ori were yet another remnant of a superstitious past, connected to the idea that the three moons affected Runa in mysterious ways. That each moon's coming and going signaled the ticking clock towards an all-consuming end. Basically, all the nonsense of the colliding light prophecy. What Taryn had commented on before the ritual. Lightborn were, in the most gullible corners of prophecy beliefs, seen as bad omens. Certain Ori born during the light nights, the six moonless nights of Runa's year, where Sena didn't leave the sky, causing day and night to bleed together into one. Bad omens heralding the collision of light, the great change that select groups with nothing better to do had anticipated for far longer than one could entertain such a thing and still keep one's sanity. The rapid chain of association the word had set off did not help Lydikai understand the connection between Enders and being lightborn that Crow had drawn, however. I'm not going to suggest I know you, Crow gestured towards Lydikai. 
but I think I've got it enough to know that's something you'd dismiss. I would as well. I do dismiss it. Categorically. It's ridiculous. Unfortunately, me knowing it's absolute nonsense has nil effect on the mistmares who have been hunting me my entire life. For some reason, they have a thing for Lightborn. Lydikai's eyes went wider. Then he shook his head. Wait, what about Ninkan then? He said. I hide from them in several ways. They do know how I look, but one effect of the deal with the Ender is that they... Well, they can't see me properly, which means they can't recognize me by sight. So that's what happened in Ninken. They mistook me for anyone, and I managed to chase them off with magic. Though a little late for comfort, obviously. <laughs> but that's why they use agents nowadays. The Ender warns me of them. And I know, yes, it would be very helpful if it could just, you know, warn me of anything dangerous heading my way. Like, say, a bloody Mistmare raid. I've tried to point that out before, but it's, um, bound by the rules of the initial arrangement, apparently. Said arrangement being to warn me of anyone who's actively hunting me. Which would be the agents I was warned of now. I suppose the Mistmares figured out the other benefits of the whole situation rather quickly as well. They can't just stroll into a settlement and ask for me, obviously. Not that their agents have been especially subtle so far. Just more subtle than Mistmares. High bar. Also, the thing I mentioned with them not being able to recognize me. Agents they send out obviously can. And what do Mistmares want with Lightborn? Fuck if I know. Crow muttered, doubt it's pleasant. The information tried to settle for a few breaths. Why didn't you tell me sooner? Lydikai said. I was afraid they had finally managed to hire someone who was subtle about it. Crow said, forgetting they were not quite yet back in levity territory. Their face tensed back to a frown. You could have just asked and made me tell you, Lydikai said curtly. No. No, I couldn't have. I didn't lie about hating doing that. I didn't. I don't care whether you believe that or not. It's true. They sounded upset enough for Lydikai to consider trusting that. The ones hunting me were really, really close this time. I was scared. I hate what I did to you both. I... They stopped. Lady Kai could see their eyes were damp. Okay, hold up, stop. Taryn suddenly said, holding her hands up in front of her. These agents are still hunting you. And, you know, by extension, us? I suppose. But I've covered our tracks, yours and mine. I've gotten very good at that over the years, don't worry. Don't worry. Taryn mumbled, ending on a huff. I know you won't trust me, but I will keep you safe from this. They were silent for a few breaths again. You know, Taryn said, if you'd said an ender told me to do it while you were in that frantic state in my home, I honestly wouldn't have come with you. So, 
Taryn, Didikai cried. Still a trespass? Of course, not okay. She waved her hands defensively. I'm just saying. Didikai snorted loudly, shaking his head to try and get rid of how confusingly deep her attitude cut. <laughs> 